Good morning, everybody. Um, it's the first time I've preached for about 15, 16 years, so I'm understandably very nervous. Um, so I just want to pray before I begin. Uh, Lord, I just want to thank you for this time this morning, and I thank you for what you've given me to say today. I pray that you take my words and make them yours, and use them to minister whatever you want to everybody here. And I pray, like it says in the Bible, you send your word out, it never returns void. And it always accomplishes, accomplishes the purpose you sent. And I pray that this morning, in the name of Jesus. Right. Okay, here's the title of the sermon. How a right image of who we are in Christ sets us free. Um, image is a big deal in people's lives. People want to be perceived in a good way, heroic way. Um, a lot of people probably wish there was someone else that they, was, they admire. And um, in my case, um, I wanted to be like this guy. Anyone recognise him? There he is on the 18th green at St Andrews, holding the winning putt in 1984 for the second of his three Open titles. He won three altogether, three Open titles and two Masters. And um, he was at the top of European golf for 15, 16 years. World number one in 1988. So that's what I wanted people to see me like, young Seve. And alas, um, that wasn't the case. So the next person who you probably recognise on the slide that that's Richard Quest. He's a presenter on CNN Business Report. And he also was a BBC presenter on the World News Report. And unfortunately, people they think I look a bit like this guy. In fact, uh, in Bermuda Airport, I actually was asked for my autograph. Richard, can you give me your autograph? <laughs> so I said, sorry, I'm, my name's James. Ah, oh, sorry. Anyway, what happens is when we become Christians, God gets the green light. And what he does with that is he puts his likeness in us as we're new creations and the old is gone and the new has come. And the new creation. There's the scripture, 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. What that involves is as when you accept Jesus as your Lord, you, that's not it. You just, that's it. You, you go to heaven and that's it and that's all you have to do. No, no. What happens is that uh, the Lord wants to begin a work in our lives. He wants us to cooperate with him. And what that means is just imbibing what he says in here about us. It's a love letter on what he feels about us. And he wants us to get that inside. And uh, he's got a, a whole ton of promises. He's given us hope for a future. He's called us the sons of the king. He's also given us a new purpose to serve him. That's his plan, that we have uh, been fully forgiven, accepted. And then we, what that does, he gives us the authority to make a difference in, in people's lives. And that's what he wants to do. And the plan that the Lord has, I believe, for all of us is that we just know who we are. He wants us to know who we are in Christ. And he, we, he, wants, he then wants us to go ahead and walk it out. And then basically, when you have a situation, we have problems. People come up with excuses or objections. The first objection that I would say people would have is the, the authority of the Bible itself. Um, People maybe think the Bible is a selection of random documents drawn together from history. Letters, archives, uh, fables. Um, very random. And uh, the, you have another argument there. You have the, our mind. Our mind can't grasp that we don't have to earn God's love. In society, we feel we have to deserve something and work for it. Uh, but God 
doesn't do that. He wants us to just to accept his free love and his forgiveness. Um, and it's amazing how people struggle with that. The third problem is how we feel about ourselves. A lot of us struggle with uh, feeling how you know worthless. And uh, so that's the three barriers we put up against what God wants for us. And then you've got a ne- the next situation. You have responses. I, wa- I mean, there's answers to these three objections. Uh, um, the first one about scripture. It says all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, competent equipped for every good work. Um, so um, there's an example directly from Scripture about what it is. And the other thing I would say about Scripture is that you'll, as you read it, you'll see that there's a golden thread which starts, you'll take something out of the Old Testament, see the story, and you can relate it to how you're living today. In fact, I'm going to talk on that today when I look at Nehemiah and I'm going to look at Ephesians and they'll just see there's a common thread from the Old Testament prophet to the Paul, Paul letters to the Ephesians. Um, the second response, I'll read this out because it's, it's worth reading out the whole thing. Um, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And I've I've made this bold because I think this is the really point I want to raise. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. That, probably the final sentence, is something if it's a... I really want it. It's going to be a common theme. The third response. When we feel... We often feel belittled, or we often condemn ourselves, or we feel that we're not worthy of God loving us. I find this is a very handy scripture to use when you feel this way. It says, There is therefore no, condemn- now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Which is, uh, I've got the order wrong, but it's in Christ Jesus. So he sets us free. Um, so, I've, you know, the problem, the counter-arguments, and then basically I want to go to a case study. And the case study this morning is the book of Nehemiah. If you turn in your Bibles, it's in the Old Testament. Oh, I've got it here. Here we are. In your pew Bibles, it's page 342. So you want to turn to, you just get the um, Nehemiah on 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 the slide. There we are. Okay, Nehemiah was uh, a eunuch. He uh, was in exile living under the kingdom of Artaxerxes. A eunuch, apart from having the obvious physical handicaps, had also, under Jewish law, a spiritual handicap. 
because no one who was castrated could be admitted to the, to the temple in certain areas of the temple. He was restricted both uh, spiritually and in, you know, in, the, in the physics. But he served in the king, presence of the king and queen as their cupbearer. That had a double-edged sword as well, because if you're a cupbearer to the king and queen, you're expected to taste the drink before they did. And if, you were, if it was poisoned, you got it, not them. And the other aspect, but the other good aspect of his job was that he had the ear of the king and queen. Um, his name also means God, the Lord is comfort. Anyway, he, um, we begin the story in a Nehemiah 1. And I begin at verse 4 to 7. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days as I continued fasting and praying before the Lord of heaven. And I said, excuse me a second. Okay. O Lord of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with all those who, who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I will now pray for you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. He's essentially um, repenting before God on behalf of himself and his people. He says that we have acted very corruptly against you, have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Um, remember the word you commanded your servant, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them through your outcasts, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them back to the place I've chosen to make my name there. So basically, he's in a position of brokenness. He looks to God to act. And the thing, the thing I love about it, he reminds, he, not only that he doesn't just stop there and wallow in pity, he's, he reminds God of his promises. He takes God and speaks his promises back to him. And that's what he wants us to do, is take scripture, speak it back to God. And he just, he, he just triggers something in him. Um, so, we then go to what happens when he's prayed that prayer. Chapter 2. He, um, he takes up the wine and gives it to the king. He's never been sad in the king's presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing as you're not sick? There's nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king says to me, what are you requesting? So I pray to the God of heaven and I say to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. So basically, he's very bold in his request. But you notice, he prays before he speaks. God opened the door. The king is not, it's not normal for the king to ask a servant if he's okay. So, um, so basically, the king responds to the request. How long will you be, be gone? Um, and then he asks, and he tells him how long he's going to be gone. And he says to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me t for the governors of the province beyond the river, so they may let me pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the walls of the city and for the house I shall occupy. And the king granted what I asked, for the good hand of the Lord is upon me. So 
he's able to get the king is all he needs for the task at hand. And uh, and then I just come to the this is the bit where uh, I suppose uh, the, the conflict. When um, when you start working walking in God's ways and when God equips you for a task, and then you start working. Um, I would say that uh, that's when you're first going to get a pop opposition. The enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking to devour and destroy. He does not want you to do what God wants for your life. He does not want that. In, in fact, Benjamin Franklin, he, he came out with a famous quote about death and taxes. He said, the two things most certain in life, except death and taxes. I would add a third to that. If you, uh, if you start walking in God's ways, you're going to get opposition, guaranteed. But that's not bad news as, as you will see as we read the story. Verse 20. He's, what happens up to that point is that uh, they come. Um, he goes into Israel. He is opposed by two governors, Sanballat and Tobiah. They are very much disturbed that someone has come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So they start challenging what uh, Nehemiah is doing. They, they, they say, are you rebelling against the king? Um, what authority have you got to do this? Um, it's a little bit like what happened in the Garden of Eden when um, Eve was tempted. She was saying, God has told us not to eat from the tree of knowledge of, of evil. And the, the serpent said, has God said? Has God said? So doubt doubt. And then what happens is that uh, Nehemiah just responds in, in kind and says, God, was given a su God will give us success in the mission. And so the work began. I then move on to verse 4. Verse 4. Oh, sorry, chapter 4. Now when Sanballat knew that we were building the wall, he was very angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heap of rubbish and burn to ones of that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and they said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up, he'll break down their stone wall. And when this, this, this mockery begins, Nehemiah calls upon the Lord to hear the insults and turn those insults back against them. As, you know, it was interesting, um, if, 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 you, if you're being attacked and then you just say to God, look what the enemy's doing to me, pull it back on him. Um, he, in, in, all, in all occasions, he didn't get into an argument with them, he just kept the high ground with God. And I think of a battle tactic about keeping the high ground. If you think of the first Gulf War back in 91, uh, before they launched the troops on the ground, they actually began, the, they, they fought the war in the air. They, um, they made sure the Air Force was clear of the skies. Uh, so then, and then they launched the ground war. And then the war was over in about three, four days. And another tactic was in the Second World War when the British pilots flew their Spitfires and Hurricanes over the skies of Britain. And what they used to do when they uh, engaged the, the, the German Luftwaffe was they climbed to a very high altitude. And then, launched, then they dove out of the sun. And, uh, and essentially that's what we have to do is we have to gain the high ground with the Lord and just look down and just go dive on the enemy and, and then the works that, you know, at the, this effect that they, uh, they mocked him didn't have any effect, the works of the wall the, the, continue, the, the work is carrying on and so the end, they're, not, they're not happy with that so they carry on in verse 4 
when Sanballat and Tobias and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdites heard that the repairing of the walls were going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they plotted to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. I skip to verse 13 and 14. So in the lowest part of the space behind the walls in open places, I stationed the men by their clans and with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fights for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. Um, and, the, and what happened was that they started carrying weapons to work. Short, sport, all the weapons to work. And they stood behind the whole house of Judah. People were building on the wall. They carried burdens, were loaded in such a way that they each laid it on the wall with one hand and held his weapon in the other hand. And um, that's very important in our walk. When we walk in God's presence uh, and we go and we're doing the work, we, 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 we go armed. So, effectively, we're getting to an, a change in tactics. They, they used ridicule, mockery, anger, division. It's like a cricket, it's like a, if you like a cricket match when um, the bowler tries to blast the batsman out with fast bowling and bounces and uh, real intimidatory tactics. That didn't work. So uh, what happened was that Sambalat uh, um, and Tobias changed their tactics. They used a bit of cunning. Verse uh, chapter 6, um, 1 to 8. When Sambalat and Tobias and the Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I was building the wall and there was no breach in it left, although at the time I hadn't set up the gates, they sent me, come and meet us together at Hakaprim in the plain of Onu, but they intended to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and will come down to you? And they did this four times and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported amongst the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. And that is why you're building the wall. And in accordance to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to reclaim concerning you in, the, in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. And the king will hear of these reports. So now come down and let us take counsel together. And I said to him, saying, No such thing as you said has been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will be not done. But not now, O God. Strengthen my hands. And um, then they, uh, that didn't work. So, verse 10 to 13. Then I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Nebatabal, who was confined to his home, and he said, Let us meet together in the house of the Lord within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they're going to come and kill you. They're going to come and kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as such as I run away? And what man should, such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And then I understood and saw that the Lord had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me, because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him to do so. Um... For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, so they can give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Now if you go back to the beginning when I introduced Nehemiah, if you remember, uh, because he was a eunuch, he could not enter certain parts of the temple. So this is like the enemy. First of all, he tries to blast you out. He tries to mock you, ridicule. And then that doesn't work, he changes to subtlety. It's a bit like, the, as I say, the fast bowlers. And then they don't work, and then they turn to the spinners. 
and um, deception and flight. And uh, just talking about spin bowlers, um, I don't know if any of you uh, read this week that uh, Mataya Muralitharan reached 800 wickets in Test cricket this week, and that's the most wonderful achievement. And he was one of the greatest arts exponents of spin, leg spin bowling. So I'm coming to the end of this, this aspect about Nehemiah. Now all this activity, all his work, and all this opposition, why? Why? Why all this? Just want to go to the end game. This is why. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So when the enemy opposing you, he's not doing it just for the fun of it. He's really, really scared. He's really scared that God's going to really accomplish mighty things in your, in your life. He doesn't want that to happen. Next slide, please. Okay, um, I just want to relate real-life situations um, to, to, to what I'm saying earlier. Um, this is by way, if you like, of testimony. I remember when I became a Christian in 1983, the first six years I was quite happily running along in God's salvation and accepting his gift, and oh, I, can, I can carry on as I was before, and I thought, oh, that's fine. And then in 1989, the Lord brought that to an abrupt halt. He basically he, he challenged me regarding a personal situation and he ministered to me in such a way that I realised that he was so right and he could be t utterly trusted. And so I said, okay, um, not only for bits of my life, Lord, but the whole thing. And, um, and I remember when I, was, I said that, I was actually uh, looking for jobs after my final year of university and I had applied for... Uh, took all the brochures and I said I don't want to be a chartered accountant uh, but I actually took all the brochures out and then I found myself throwing away all the other brochures and I started applying for all the jobs in, in the accountancy as a training contract and I got a trainee position, one job offer and I remember as I started out I remember doubting myself this is really what God wants me to do because I really struggled I struggled with the, the audit I struggled with the, the, with the bookkeeping and the, and the studies and uh, I remember um, my work colleague said, ah, James, you're really, not, you're really not going to do this. And I remember even my Christian, well-meaning Christian friends, the ones I were living in, in, with in Nottingham, oh, you sure this is what God wants for you? I think the Lord really wants you to be a missionary, James. Have you, have you thought about that? And um, I remember just plugging away, and I remember my first set of exams, six papers, three hours each. Three of the papers I had not passed in any practice whatsoever. So I go into the exam not, not having passed previously three papers. And um, my tutors are all saying to the firm, he's not going to pass these exams. And my fellow students, as a bit of fun, they took a bet that uh, I, I'd fail. And uh, God had other ideas. And um, <laughs> I passed all six papers. That was so, so amazing that uh, God could just step in there. Because I gave all I had and that was not enough. And, um, and that gave me the belief that this is what his plan was. Uh, and then I remember... That wasn't the end of the struggles because I lost my job because of the, the recession. I took up a new job in another town. Uh, I failed my, my second set of exams. And I remember losing complete heart. And I remember my, my, my employer said, James, you don't really want to do this, do you? And I said, no. Uh, and so I, I, I then um, was unemployed. And I remember I had a chance to resit the paper. So I said, OK, you've paid £100. Just go ahead and resit the paper. 
So I went on the tuition course and it was like God had just suddenly renewed my desire. He put, the, he put his vision in me and he gave me like a hunger that, to, do, to do well as I never had before. But the problem was, they, wouldn't set, they, they did not let me set the paper. Because under the rules at the time, the institute required all students to be in jobs. So I remember I, come back, I came home and I was totally disheartened and I remember Lil, my pastors, uh, Brian and Lil, my pastors all those years ago, she said, completely different from what the other Christians were saying, listen, God really wants you to do this, you keep going, the enemy is really worried about you, he's, he's trying to stop you, so you just keep going. And it really lifted me. Uh, and uh, God was as good as his word, because here I am, I qualified in 1994, practicing 16 years. And God honoured that. He honoured that. And it's just most, the most enjoyable. I've never had so much fun. And um, I think that we, we, we... So basically that's illustrating how when God calls you, someone tries to take that away from you. And you have to just stick at it and just hold on to what God says, to about, says about you. And the second aspect about that is when you're successful in what you do and you're getting on with your work in a, in a good way, it makes other people very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. I was working with someone for six years. He was very uncomfortable with the fact that I was really enjoying it and really coming up with very good solutions for the client. And he just did whatever he could to say, oh, 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 I'm the boss. You report to me. Report to me. And um, it, I, 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 I continued despite that. And in the end, he, uh, he's no longer with the company. It was about a year and a half ago. And uh, so what I learned to do, and I think, I, I think it took five years to learn that, was stop apologising. Stop walking with your head down. Walk tall. I'm wearing a Liverpool shirt today. One of the anthems is uh, You'll Never Walk Alone. It's a song by Jerry Marsden. And it says, when you walk through the storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. And I remember the Lord, I started to walk tall in the knowledge that he'd given me about the work. I stopped saying, can I do this? And asking permission for things. I started saying, I'm going to do this. I started asserting myself. And uh, when I got, I think when I learned that lesson, God said, okay, you've got it now. And, uh, and now he's put me in charge of the company. So I just praise God for that. Um, next slide, please. And here's, here's a, can anyone still hear me? Okay. Okay, here's Ephesians. Um, Ephesians is one of my favorite books. Uh, the man at the top, Watchman Nee, he was a Chinese leader in the earlier part of the 20th century. He, he was persecuted for his faith. He founded about 400 churches in, throughout China. And when the communists took over, they imprisoned him for the last 20 years of his life. So he faced imprisonment for what he had done. But he was also um, ridiculed by his fellow Christians because he believed well, that denominations are wrong because they divide the body of Christ. And there's only one division that was acceptable and that was geographical location. But he really suffered for that. And um, I'd call him a modern day Nehemiah for what he did. And he wrote a book called Sit, Walk and Stand. And it really, this is something that I was taught about 20 years ago. It's really stayed with me. The first bit is your sitting position. And I'm just going to read out the scripture. It says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, so in order that the coming of ages he may show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I mentioned that scripture earlier. Um, effectively, what, what that means is that he wants us to sit with him in Christ in the heavenly places. Note that we didn't earn that position. He 
picked us up and put us there. Effectively, he wants us to be in a relationship with him before he can start really using us. Because we work from a position of relationship, not from a position of having to earn it. And then basically when Nehemiah, before he started his work, he had to sit with God and repent and say, I'm re- you know, I really want, you know, he unburdened himself before God. Next slide, please. Then we come to the middle part, is the walk. If anyone, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, and with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of grace. Effectively, if you're walking, it's displaying our conduct of, of walking with our head held high and being, keeping the high ground. Um, above all, be firm in your dealings with the opposition, but you, you must be dignified. Do not resort to his tactics. The third part of the walk is the standing. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done so, done all, to stand firm. This is our attitude towards the enemy. What we do is we defend the ground that the Lord has already won for us. Because we don't have, he's given us the ground. He's given it to us. We just have to stand in it and wear the armour. And if you think about uh, what Nehemiah did. He equipped the people with weapons. He brought them to work. One was wearing, working with one hand and with the other hand holding a spear. So go equipped. Go equipped. Go equipped.